Welcome to Deepen with Pastor Joby Martin. The Church of 1122 is a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we're praying this message helps you deepen your relationship with Him. Now let's dive in. Well, welcome back to the Deepen Podcast with Pastor Joby. We are in week four of our Anything is Possible series, and we have so much to cover today. This chapter on the Pool of Bethesda, I'm afraid we're not even going to get through all the things I want to get through. But I first want to start with, um, because we were talking about it right before we started recording, how do you guys feel about hardcover book jackets? You're a book guy, Charles. Do you keep the jacket on your hardcover books? Yes. Most of the time. I can't do it. It's like, it gets in the way, it's loose. So (laughs) I don't have a random book here. I just have, it's my anything is possible. It just looks like a an old antique version of anything is possible. What about you, Pastor Joby? Do you keep jackets on your books? Yes, I think so. But Gretchen doesn't. But I think she does it for decorative reasons. So we have a bunch of white books, hardback books, strategically placed around Mm. our home. (laughs) That she's not reading every day. I don't think anybody's read them. I think she just got got white ones. Uh, I love it. Okay. So Pool of Bethesda, we're going to get to the miracle that happens at the Pool of Bethesda. But before you get there in the book, we have an important interruption to Jesus as he's walking to the Pool of Bethesda. And I love this side of Jesus that we get to see. He's never in a hurry. And how does Jesus typically respond to interruptions in his day-to-day ministry? Um, I don't. Um, I don't think he considers them interruptions like we consider them interruptions because we think we have a purpose and a plan and a destination or whatever. And I, it seems that, well, obviously he's never surprised, so he knew, he knows what's going to happen. So I think what we call a, a, an interruption, he would call a divine appointment. Mm. And, um, yeah, he's, you know, it's very convicting to me. He's never hurried. He's never rushed. And I feel like I always am. Mm. Or particularly, I'm trying to rush everybody else along to keep up. Mm. You know, one of the things I think about, ever wonder why God took six days to create everything? I mean, he could just do it now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, Mm -hmm. and there's this rhythm to it, the first three days, he creates the environments that are filled in the subsequent three days. And he he just kind of paces it out, and he doesn't have to. And for him, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. So we serve a God that's never in a hurry, and most of our lives are defined by hurry. Mm. Yes. Anything you'd add to that? Well, we see it also with um, the woman with the issue of blood. I think he actually slows down so she can catch up. Mm. Uh, we see it. He 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 stop. He's headed to Jerusalem. He stops to talk to Bartimaeus. He's not hurried there. He obviously takes his time with Lazarus, but lets him die. We'll talk about that. You know, mm-hmm. coming up. Um, it is convicting. I am governed by a schedule that just runs my life. And I'm horrible at Sabbath. I confess it. I just, I could be so much better. Me too. I could, I could be so much better. And we see that, we see this event happen and we know he gets to the pool of Bethesda and we know he heals the man there. 
But I also was thinking as I was reading that that man doesn't know. He's just waiting and waiting for his miracle. And Jesus is on his way to accomplish that miracle and is stopped on his way to spend time with his dad and to actually do another miracle. But I just think about on the other end of it, someone who's in the waiting thinking, where is Jesus? Is he coming? And we just can't see all the points along the way. He is coming. (laughs) Okay, so Charles, will you give us just an overview of the dad who approaches Jesus on his way to the pool of Bethesda and what he's encountering? Well, yeah, he's frantic. My son is needs your help. Come, help him, help me. Um, I think frantic would be probably the word that comes to mind. Desperate, um, which is a. I think you said it in one of your questions to ask, and I say what. Oftentimes, our oftentimes desperation leads us to the Lord quicker than anything else, and I think that's what we see in this man. Yeah. So he wants. He's asking for healing on behalf of someone else. And it made me wonder, and I'd love to hear from both of you, has there been a time in your life? Well, I know that there has. What is a time in your life that you were begging God on behalf of someone else? Praying for Ben Williams, praying for Mackenzie Wilson, Mm -hmm. praying for my children, um, not necessarily physical things. You know, I mean, could I say it anymore? There's no pain like kid pain, but it is a different thing, man. When it's your when it's your child, right? And um, I mean, you you get a little bit of a glimpse into how God the Father must feel about His kids when when you want so desperately to fix a thing in your kid, mm-hmm. you know, especially when they're hurting. I can't even imagine like on the verge of death, like this kid is, mm-hmm. and so. Yeah, man, we all pray like giants when we're in that desperate place for somebody that we love dearly. Mm, yeah, I was talking with uh, I was talking with Hunter yesterday, oh, yeah. and uh, we were he was talking about the day that he calls you. Mm. I know we've talked about this. If you're on the plane, and uh, it's like a really bad diagnosis for his son, and you just start praying. I think they're closing the door. I mean, I wasn't there, but I'm I'm re- I'm, re- I'm telling you the story you told me. <laughs> And yeah. uh, and then the thing I love about it that's cool is that uh, you know obviously the Lord heals His Son, but you you look up and everybody, well, there are a bunch of people in the praying in the plane praying with you. So wow. mm-hmm. I love the you know we talked about secret disciples, and I wonder sometimes when you're sitting on a plane, those Christian and I were driving back yesterday from the farm. You were talking about praying for folks that you know just interceding for other people, which is what intercession just means to stand between stand between someone who needs the Lord and the Lord and say, and just like Moses, that's what Moses did between God and the nation of Israel. But we got a phone call yesterday that somebody we love dearly is on life support. Mm-hmm. And like, I haven't gotten an update. I don't know, but we just, Lord, you, you know, the days of our lives before we were, before you fashioned us, you, you, you know, you numbered our days. If this is his day, God be praised. Mm-hmm. If it's not, then don't let death take him. Mm-hmm. Good. I feel particularly burdened for my friends who are battling infertility. And you say this from stage a lot, that it's just sometimes really confusing because you can look at your friends and think, you'd be amazing parents. Mm -hmm. And I know God has something in this for you, but it doesn't make it any less heartbreaking right now. 
Um, and so I find myself crying out to the Lord on behalf of my friends battling infertility. And it feels like a lot now. Um, yeah, that's something I find myself praying on behalf of others for. So we have this dad, he's in a desperate place. And the title of the chapter is, do you believe Jesus can heal you? And I want to ask, why is the word can so important here? Well, do you? I mean, and if you don't, I think you've got to like want to believe. Hmm. You know what I mean? Um, the reason that we tie this to the empty tomb is because the moment that skepticism comes in and the moment you begin to think everybody else can have a baby, I'm never going to be able to. You have to allow yourself to have the faith to believe that he can. Mm. You know? I mean, like in your particular situation, that I think it starts there. That matters a lot. Mm. If you're counting God out before before it's over, man, that that is a total lack of faith. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what the enemy wants you to do. So you can either do that theologically, you know, and so there's a whole camp of people called cessationists that would say he, he can't, or I don't think they'd say he can't, that he just doesn't. Mm. I still have such a hard time wrapping my mind around how some pretty smart Bible people <clears throat> could come to that conclusion. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, there's no expiration date on the Spirit of God in my Bible. And so uh, I think sometimes people get there just because it's easier. It's mm. It's easier to... To limit God to what he can and can't do or will and won't do right now so that that's just like um, a thing you just don't have to deal with, right? Because mm. uh, the Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. So when you're believing, when you know that he can and you're believing that he will and for whatever reason it hasn't gone the way you hoped it would go and, and you begin to find yourself in a hopeless situation, mm. it could be devastating to the human soul. I th- I can't remember if it's in this chapter or another chapter when you talk about that pain can be start to become part of your identity. That's this one. That's this one, yeah. yeah. And um, and it's like what you're talking about. Like it's almost easier to lean into the identity of the pain than to open yourself up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that gets to the question that Jesus asked this man. Mm. You know, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? Mm-hmm. So Jesus tells the dad your son will be healed and the dad has to then walk home however many hours or days or whatever. And I couldn't help but think, you know, he's walking home. He doesn't actually know if the miracle has happened. Mm -hmm. He's probably wavering between belief and unbelief. I mean, he even tells Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. How is that a picture of our lives today? Well, he's such a man too. He's like, will you heal my son? And Jesus is like, yep. He's like, all right, cool. And then he just goes home. Like he's not, <laughs> he doesn't I, need like the whole explanation. Here's what it, all it make. I just could think if that was me and Gretchen called me on the way. What did he say? He said yeah. he's gonna be healed. Yeah, but when? I he said he's gonna be healed. And yeah, get but those details. What, how long is it gonna take? He said he. You know what I'm saying? Yes. This just, literally just, happened to me this morning. <laughs> uh, my husband took our daughter to the pediatrician appointment, and he called me on the way home. I'm like, so what did the doctor say? She said she looks great. I'm like, well, she had to have said something else. And he said, oh, it looks great. She said she'll see us back. I'm like, when are we going back? He's like, oh, I don't know. I asked if they needed anything else from me and left. I'm like, are you serious? Yeah. So that's this dude, man. He just he just heads home. I love With, it. He doesn't get a receipt, not a confirmation number, no, no tracking. 
Just <laughs> no tracking. Well, say when you get home. Um, and so Jesus heals his son, which that it, that whole story is an incredible miracle, and that's like the prologue to the pool of Bethesda. So so let's transition now to the pool of Bethesda. Um, do you want to give us just a high level overview of the pool of Bethesda and the the backdrop of this miracle? So this would be, it's right near the sheep gate coming into the city gates. This is like the servant's entrance. This isn't like the VIP entrance. It's the opposite. And you would bring your animals in through this gate. And there's holding pens there, particularly for like sacrifice days. And um, people would wash their animals and, and those kind of things in in these pools around. The ESV is missing a verse um, because... There, there are some manuscripts that have this verse and some don't, and it talks about an angel stirs the water, first one in the water gets healed. So whether that, whether that actually happened or didn't happen is not the point. The point is that that was for sure rumored at least to have happened mm-hmm. in the first century. So uh, people, disabled people, began to gather there and gather there and gather there. And one of the things that strikes me at least in the in the English, is they're called invalids. And if you just break that word into two words, it literally just says invalid. And I just think about all the people based on some kind of condition in their life, they they feel invalid. Mm-hmm. Or like your friends that you're talking about, man. I mean, if, if all of your hope and identity is wrapped up in being a mom or a dad and you haven't been able to do that, you can real quickly begin to feel invalid. Totally. And this world treats a whole bunch of people as invalid based on maybe some things they've done or felt or mm-hmm. identify as. Yeah, you saying that, I had this quote marked um, when he's talking about that word invalid. And you write, Jesus sees every single human being as valid, no matter what your physical state, no matter what your mental state, no matter what your condition, no matter what, you are not invalid. And it made me think about the church and how the church gets knocked a lot of times for not being loving to all people. And how is that just the opposite of what should be true in the church and what Jesus's way of life was? You know, I I mean... Obviously, I'm biased towards 1122, but um, man, by and large, I'm very, very proud of the way people are treated mm-hmm. here at our church. All kind of different people, man. All kind of different mm-hmm. people. Um, I don't. I, I hope nobody ever gets treated as an invalid person here. Yeah. Because you you've never come eyeball to eyeball with a person that does not bear the image of God, mm-hmm. and we should treat each other that way. You even say in the in the chapter, our church our church looks more like the pool of Bethesda totally. than it does a country club, which is so important to what you're saying. We're a movement for all people. Anything you'd add to that? No, I, I, it's one of the things I have loved about being here. Is that, you know you you talked about getting email from some lady who said, "Well, I was grieved when I was met at the door by." Somebody tatted from, you know, eyeball to toenail and, mm-hmm. and smoking, you know, right at the front door. And <laughs> Lord, I, I was just grieved that they were in the house of the Lord. And you said, well, welcome. You've just met one of our deacons or ushers or whatever. And I just, you know, that is the, that is the father heart of God. We, we, 
we are all in a process of being sanctified. Mm. None of us are there yet. And he's given us all the right to become his children. He 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 put it, you know, he looks at every one of us like a father, the father that he is. So mm. I love it. Would it have been weird for him to go to the pool of Bethesda? Like, would that have been considered an unclean thing for him to do? A hundred percent. I mean, the the amount of ceremonial washing and whatnot mm-hmm. that he would have to go through, and especially as a rabbi, um, it would have been very, very, very extensive. Mm. When we were there last, I had not made this connection, uh, but I'm sitting there and I can't remember. I've been there, I think, six times now. But we're sitting there and they've since excavated one of the columns for the five colonnades or whatever, five pillars or... So you can see about 30 feet down, but I happened to turn around. You're talking about it being right there at the Sheep Gate. Mm-hmm. And I'd never really looked beyond the kind of shrub or wall or whatever that's right there at the pool of... Because St. Anne's Church is off to one side with maybe the greatest acoustics in the history of music. Mm-hmm. and But then on that eastern side, if you sort of look up above the trees, you can literally see the top of the wall, the wall of go around Jerusalem. You can see where the Sheep Gate is and then beyond that literally is the garden of gethsemane and the mount of olives and then there's bethany just on the other side so i i'd never made the connection maybe one of y'all said it and i picked up on it but in in the triumphal entry he leaves jericho walks 20 miles up through the night into jerusalem comes through bethany hops on a colt rides down the hill and very probably rode in through the sheep gate which is Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I mean, it, it would make sense mm-hmm. that the Lamb of God comes in through the sheep gate because he's the Passover lamb that was slain. So I just never made that. It was like right there, 70 yards from the pool of Bethesda. That's right. Mm, good. That was a cool site. Uh, and as you were just saying about St. Anne's Church, which is this old chapel. I don't know when it was built. I'm sure one of you do. Long time ago. Long time ago. Like and, business. I mean, it's a long time ago. And it's right next to this place that once held, as we said, these quote unquote invalid people, invalids. And then there's this chapel on the site that has the best acoustics, like you said, and group after group goes in and sings hymns that most church people would know. Mm -hmm. And right when we got in there, when we went on this last trip, there was a group from Africa singing How Great Thou Art. And it's just interesting to me that the place that once was all these invalids, now the church, the global church, gathers in this chapel and people from every nation, every tongue are singing the same songs, mm-hmm. glorifying the same Lord right. right next to where these pools were with all of these people. It's just a beautiful picture of really what the church is supposed to be. Amen. And then we got there and sang, and in the video, I can hear my voice, unfortunately, <laughs> above everyone else's because acapella and my low voice is not a good combination. Anyway, um, okay, so further along in this chapter, you talk about the different places that sin and pain can come from, five mm-hmm. different places. And one of those categories you talked about struggling with an addiction and how, and you, and you talk about this a lot from stage, um, how, what do you call that addiction? It's, it's a demonic attack. And it got me thinking about this current generation of kids um, being raised and just the prevalence of 
technology and social media and everything that they're exposed to. And I just wanted to get your thoughts. You both have teenage and older kids. Just how have you seen the enemy use technology and social media and this exposure to so much to try and attack our kids in this generation? Well, it is a social experiment, man. Like, um, our children are the first generation to ever be born into a digital age. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, not to understate it, but it is not going well. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, just statistically speaking, across this generation, it is a failure. It is a true failure. The, you know, the, it's a true mental health crisis. Um, and if you don't think that, that that's not demonic, uh, then, then it's adorable how you think the world works. Mm. You know, it's just, it's just adorable. Now, you're going to get it handed to you because um, in C.S. Lewis's screw tape letters, um, as Wormwood is, is writing, one of his favorite tactics is for people to not even know that, mm-hmm. that he's there. I always liken it to when people call hunting a sport, which I think is funny. I'm into it. I went this morning, but the other team doesn't know you're playing, so you have a clear advantage. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. They don't hear the like mm. the the gun go off. Well, they hear the gun go off. They don't hear the the opening bell, so they're not aware. So that's how a lot of Christians are, man. The problem the problem with all the social media, all the connection. I mean, there's so many problems. It is antithetical to how God created us to be. Because mm-hmm. when we're with people, you're never really with people because you're so distracted. Mm-hmm. And when you are alone, like the good time of kind of solitude alone, you're never actually alone because the whole world has access to you. Mm-hmm. I mean, the enemy is attacking us at both ends and what it means to be an image bearer of God. There are just some things that are true like, Things like creativity mm. and imagination grow best in boredom. And no one is ever bored anymore. I mean, they are, but they're completely distracted. Mm-hmm. It's not going okay. And a part of the way the enemy's winning right now is I don't even know how you function as a high school or a middle school kid right. without social media access. I mean, my kids are in a good Christian school, and yet if they don't, if they don't have their phones— not for calling, but they have no idea what's going on. I don't even right. mean socially. I mean, like it, at school. It's how like you log in and check in and know right. what your homework is and the, all the things, man. And so, I mean, it's a, it's really, really dangerous thing. It is not going mm-hmm. well, and the enemy is l- loving it. I mean, just loving it. Mm-hmm. Sometime last year. Social media has never been a thing of mine. Like I, I don't, I don't really consume it. But obviously, in my career, you know, my publisher wants me to have it, and 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 I certainly want to have access to readers and, and and be able to have that conversation. But what I learned last year about me is I just began taking a hard look at its effect on my heart, like. What is what is this thing doing to me when I'm stopping and pulling out my phone and just you just get lost in the vortex of scrolling through and this the thing that I really just I felt like the Lord held up a mirror and it's just this whole sin trap of comparison 
I mean, that's what it is. Like it or not, I just spent time comparing me to everybody else. And that, that is not a healthy place for my heart to be. That doesn't draw me any closer to the Lord. So I just I just got rid of all of it. I don't mm. I don't have it on my phone. Now I have to engage it at some level with my work. I have to. So Christy kind of helps me with that and we know we're intentional about it. But I don't one of the best things I've ever done in my life is delete all that stuff off mm-hmm. my phone. Like it's not on there. Mm-hmm. I just and I, I it's being free from it is a good thing. Yeah. And it is a freedom. There is a legit thing I have felt that is different than when I'm sitting there doing this Mm -hmm. like a monkey with a Rubik's Cube, you know? It's true. Well, and that's what made me think of it, honestly, out of my own conviction, when you were talking about this idea of addiction and it being really an attack from the enemy. I can't, again, you know, I sit under your teaching every week. I listen to you on podcasts and I'm reading the books. I can't always remember exactly where I'm reading what you say. How dare you? Um, I think it's in the book, but you said um, something about right when you wake up, don't you dare touch that smartphone, pick up the word of God. And I've just noticed ever since I've heard that or read that, I have just noticed that my first instinct is just flip it over. And it's like, I don't even have to tell my thumb where it's going. Like we're just, it's just opening to Instagram. Mm -hmm. And, you know, actually this morning in preparation for this podcast, I thought, you know what? Nope. I'm controlling this and I am going to be in prayer and open the Bible app. And it was just obviously such a better start to my day. You can tell right away. It's like what you're saying. You can just tell mentally you're putting yourself in a better place than if you're just automatically going to it. But all that to say, so what's some encouragement you can give to parents? You know, I'm a parent of a toddler, so we're not at that stage yet, but it's coming. And I don't want to be the parent who thinks, oh, it's not real. We can avoid it. So what is your advice to parents who either have teenagers and are in the thick of it or parents who are raising future teenagers? How can we fight against it? Um, we were pretty slow adopters on purpose. We didn't want our kids to be the first in the game. Uh, we also didn't want them to be the last either. You better monitor that stuff like crazy. Um, but the parent that doesn't engage, uh, you're going to really miss out on some key aspects of who your kid is Mm -hmm. becoming and the influence of this world on your kid. Mm. And so we are highly engaged with our kids, all things phone, you know, um, even to the point where like JP sent constantly sends me these little funny reels and as dumb as it is, at least it's something to watch together. You yeah. know what I mean? So that's so true. I yeah. Finding the light that. parts of it Correct. that you can enjoy together so they don't think you're just the parent who's against all of it all the time. You know, I think one, I mean, it's a sad thing where, so one of the things that sporting events will decide is, okay, who's videoing? Because, mm. and I I would rather it be Gretchen because I hate it. Because, <laughs> um, man, you sit in the stands today, or uh, oftentimes I'm like on the floor field because I coach a lot of the things, and mm. you turn around, man, nobody sees what's going on. Everybody just sees their screen. So true. It's a weird, I, I, I can't, I can't imagine how it impacts a kid to look up and their parent is not eyeballs on them. Instead, they're either through the video Mm -hmm. or just head down on their phone. I mean, think about this. I just try to 
often in the book I'll <clears throat> ask for a little hermeneutical license to just try to flesh out, you know, what's happening. And by the way, if you'd like a really good book that does that over and over, it's called The uh, Son of Man by Charles Martin. You should get that. <laughs> um, it will ruin your life in the best way. <clears throat> best way. Can you imagine? All right, we 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 were just at the pool of Bethesda. Can you imagine Jesus walking in the sheep gate? And he gets to the pool of Bethesda, and he just walks on by because he never looked up to see who was there because he's just looking at his Instagram. <laughs> it's like laughable to us, like right? But like you this can't. Is what we live you in. can't. <laughs> right. I mean, like like Jesus, he never missed an opportunity to meet with a person that he was supposed right. to meet with. How many opportunities? Do we miss, I mean, like opportunities with our loved ones, you know, or a conversation doesn't develop like it should because we're just nose deep in a screen, man, mm-hmm. nonstop. Yeah, it's so true. I went to a Hillsong conference one time and Hillsong United was leading worship and Taya came out to lead Oceans and every person about took their phone out to video it. And the pastor came out and he said, we're going to do that again. And I don't want anyone to take their phone out because we are worshiping the Mm, King of Kings and you're videoing it. And it was a great, it was a great moment, I think, for everyone to realize like, oh, right, we're not at a concert. We're worshiping our Mm. King. And it almost feels like we're defaming him by taking out our phone and filming the worship team, you know? So another category that you mentioned that your sin, it may just be a you problem that Maybe we'd say, oh, the enemy has just been really attacking me lately, but it might just be an us problem. Yeah, you are a sinner. How can you tell if the enemy is attacking you or if you are just your own problem? (laughs) Well, um, I I mean, you know, the conversation I've had a hundred times is people will say, they'll say, the enemy's just attacking my marriage. Well, talk to me about it a little bit. And basically, they begin to confess the awful things that they say to one another. I'm like, the enemy doesn't have to do that because you are clearly and deliberately breaking the law of God mm-hmm. by the way y'all are talking to one another. And, man, the the law of God is the will of God for you. And so one of the things to just ask yourself, it, it, am I in alignment with God's will for my life, which is God's law for my life? Or... Am I breaking God's law and then trying to blame the enemy as if mm. it's him? I literally had a woman tell me one time, she was like, the enemy's attacking my finances. And I'm like, all right, well, tell me about it. And basically she said, well, you know, I'm a, I have consumer debt up to my eyeballs and I just don't know why I can't have a breakthrough. You can also pay attention to some language and, mm. and say, what do you mean breakthrough? How about, I think you're buying stuff when you don't have money. You have to stop that. Like nowhere does God promise some sort of miraculous breakthrough from the for the person that does not just obey the simple law of God mm. to be generous to him, bring your first and best, and then to be wise steward of the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything you know? Yeah, that self control thing is a big it's 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 what it's what our us and our kids are dealing with in the whole phone thing. It's a, I mean, one of the fruits of the spirit is is, is self control. We either have it or we don't. Um, you know, you were you just said asked a minute ago, what advice can you give parents with regards to these phone things? And then Christy and I have three boys, and in there, you know, they're now grown, and all but one are out of the house. And 
But as we've, as I look back across our parenting, the the phone has been one of the biggest hurdles in their life and in our parenting with them. If they were sitting here, they'd be nodding. But it's um, it's a huge window for the enemy. The only thing I think Christy and I did right in this is. Number one, I told him it's not your phone, it's mine. I pay the bill. So I have access to it. And if you don't like that, then you don't have a phone, period. Sorry if that takes the, licks the red off your lollipop, but <laughs> it's my phone. You're just using it. Matter of fact, to get in touch with me. So when I call you, <laughs> pick it up. Don't send me the voicemail. But um, you know, I would know their codes. And when their code changed... And I couldn't get into their phone. It's usually time for us to have a conversation. (laughs) So we did. But I would just, you know, I've I've said this to the guys in our Mount Bible study. And as we as we pray through our lives with our kids and parenting, and and it look, it is not easy. The the enemy is wearing our kids out right now with this whole phone thing. But it is a great chance for us as dads. Uh, both sons and daughters, to have really authentic conversations, not where we shame them with the evidence of the stuff that's on the phone, but use it as a, the enemy really has come to steal, kill, and destroy, and he's using this right here, right now. Good. And I'm fighting for your freedom. It's not about me putting you under my thumb or making you feel something. It's me fighting. I am actually fighting for you. Mm. The enemy wants to rip your head off your shoulders and post it on a stake outside the city gate, but you're my son and you're my daughter. Mm. He can't have you. The, the constant conversation that I have with my kids that they that there's no way they've like grabbed onto this all the way. But when we we're talking about phones and things like that, I'm like, guys, we're not talking about right and wrong. Because mm. right and wrong will not sustain you. Fact. JP's gonna be off to school in a year. Crazy. Because a thing is wrong is not enough for him to avoid that. Mm. It's just not. Because you'll begin to First of all, man, you'll begin to negotiate with yourself, right? Mm-hmm. And you always win. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> We're talking about life and death. Mm-hmm. That's right. And yeah. there are certain habits that are killing people, and you look at that and you go, I would never do that, right? I would never. Who? How could you have a full-on addiction to pornography? Don't you know it's going to kill your marriage, right? Everybody knows that. So when you're a high schooler, you're thinking, I want to have a good marriage one day. I don't want to have a dead marriage. So I wouldn't do that. All right. But little decisions today, again, it's it's way beyond right and wrong. It's more of this puts you on a path that leads to a place and that place always leads to death. Every time you disobey God, it's only death at the end. Mm. Every time. And every time you obey God, there's only life at the end. Even if it's physical death, it still leads to eternal life. And especially when it doesn't make sense. Especially, that's the only time faith is involved. Hmm. But it's when, so why can't I do this? Everybody else does this. Yeah, but God says don't do that. Hmm. And you don't know. It doesn't, you know, you're like, or, or people that are, Sleeping with somebody they're not married to. They're like, yeah, but we're adults and we're consenting. And I get it for the kids, but I'm like, no, no, no. See, what you don't understand is if you think you're going to marry that girl, you are bringing death into that relationship before you even got married. And so what you're, man, you you cannot simultaneously love her and sleep with her if she's not your girlfriend because, I mean, the first one is love is patient. And you're, 
You're not being patient. Right. So you're over one before it even starts. But God has this, God has rigged this thing, wired this thing. He is the author of life. He knows how, how it works best. When we do it his way, it typically goes better. But what you're what you're doing here is you're you're bringing you're you're stepping towards the abundant life that has that Christ has for you with every step of obedience. Mm. And isn't it hard for this generation? I mean, us too, but me too. But for them to see all the steps down the road because they live in such a here and now instant gratification. So I. I when you said, I tell them this, and I don't know that they even fully understand it yet, it's almost like they can't fully see that every step leads somewhere yet. But the, the, the more you talk about it and teach it and reteach it, the more they begin to understand that this decision impacts this decision, impacts this decision. Here's what they do. They, knew, they do know that I love them and I'm for them. Yeah. And so even when they don't like it, even if it just seems like a random, right. well, he won't yeah. let me do this this time. Uh, yeah. But they can't deny that I love them and I'm for them. Yeah. There's so many things that I have learned about my walk with Jesus hmm. by being a father. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've talked about it maybe in this chapter. I was yelling at one of my children, if you would just do <laughs> the things I tell you to do, do you know how awesome your life would be? <laughs> There'd be full of yeses, that's what I said. And then I'm telling the Spirit of God, I was like, say it again. I was like, that's right. Hey, wait a minute. <laughs> I think you're talking to me. Yeah. Um, and Charles, you mentioned that you were talking about it in your disciple group of men. How important important is it on your parenting journey to be in community with other people going through what you're also going through? I've said this before. I would not be sitting without this without this group of guys that I've now done life with for 15 plus years who are brothers to me. I was on the phone praying with a couple of them this morning. Without them, I, I, I promise you, I would not, you wouldn't be reading my books, mm. probably wouldn't still be married. My kids probably wouldn't be in touch. Mm. You know, I mean, I just don't know how to, I just don't know how to tell you. Being able to be authentic and real with guys who know this and it's the skeletons in my closet and have helped me kind of open my basement door and turn on the light and walk down there without shame and look at my basement, which just so happens to be the same basement that they all have too. And we mm -hmm. think we're the only ones that have a basement that looks like that. Mm -hmm. But we get down there and we're like, what are you doing here? Mm -hmm. Oh, your steps lead your steps lead down here too? Well, really without those jokers, and we're, we're all, you know, you talk about us all walking with limp. We do. We, we do. We're all just sinners. You know, we're on the process. We're on this pendulum. Without them, I cannot imagine where I would be. I, I cannot fathom trying to walk through this life without men, like men, real men who really sin and really fall and really get up and really repent and really forgive. And if I, had, if I could give two words that would describe them, or maybe three, it would be chronic repentance and forgiveness. Mm. That's what that's what characterizes them, which is just evidence of the spirit of God in their and my life. Mm -hmm. That that's usually when we get together, we end up somewhere, you know, and the Lord shows up and we end up on our knees and and the things that are coming out of our mouth in prayer is repentance and forgiveness. Mm -hmm. I don't know where I'd be without them. Yeah, that's good. I mean, this is... You know, the guy at the pool of Bethesda, I mean, one of his biggest problems is he's got nobody. 
Mm. I mean, one of the first things he says, Jesus says, do you want to be healed? And he's like, well, I mean, he starts getting excuses, which aggravate me just to read it. But he's like, <laughs> it's not my fault. Everybody's faster and they get there first. But man, it's really sad. He's like, I don't have anybody to help me in. I don't have anybody to help me in. Opposite yep. of what we talked about last week with the paralytic and the four friends right. who right. are each carrying a corner of his mat and go so far as to lower him through the roof to Jesus. It's a very contrasting picture between them. And Jesus sees the faith of the friends and heals the man. Yeah. Right. Put right. that in your theological pipe yeah. and smoke it. But in the in the guy with the at the pool, you also see just by the the evidence of his question, you see the depth of his wound woundedness and how he's now his identity is wrapped in his wound and he's probably afraid to let go of his sickness and his infirmity because he doesn't know who he's going to be on the other side, which is a real thing. Mm. And unless you've been really sick for a really long period of time, you probably don't understand that. And I didn't until I'd met Rick Crowley. Mm. But this was one of the things when the Lord healed him, it was a thing like, I have to now learn how to be somebody who's not sick. Mm. And I have to- Tell us that story really quick for those that don't know it. Rick's one of of my guys, has a a light we like to call each other. He's now a teacher. I think he teaches, you know, he's a teacher with your boy yep. at Providence. Uh, he's a Bible teacher at, at Providence. He's, uh, but when, he, when Rick was, he's in his early 50s or he's now 50. Uh, when he was 16, he had a grandma seizure, which put him on a path of sickness and a lot of medications. He began having multiple massive seizures, was diagnosed as an epileptic. Um, eventually, when I met him, he was having 30, 40 seizures a day. Gosh. The doctors had told Julia to get her affairs in order. He was paralyzed on the left side down. He couldn't ambulate, couldn't eat, couldn't go to the bathroom by himself. All, all of that. And um, we met him and he started coming on Wednesday nights to this Bible study and we began praying for him. And we discovered really through just speaking the word and praying the word over him that while he was certainly physically sick and yes, there was a brain tumor that we have images that show the tumor. We also noticed that anytime we spoke the name of Jesus over him, he would suffer a seizure. So I'm not, I mean, I'm looking at that going, well, okay, obviously we're poking something in the chest and it doesn't like it. So we just began speaking to these things in the name of Jesus and telling him to come out. I'm not, this is not like, I didn't, I didn't study this. I'm just looking at the word going, okay, well that, 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 when I say this, that's what happens. That's what manifests in my buddy. That does not look like the Holy Spirit to me, especially when he's banging his head against the floorboard of the house. So stop that in the name of Jesus and leave him alone. This is a blood bought, blood washed, blood redeemed child of God. Through about two years of us just praying. And there were a whole bunch of people that prayed for Rick. Rick, I think he just celebrated 11 years seizure-free. Wow. And we now have images of no brain tumor. He hasn't taken medication in 11 years. So we saw a radical healing. We saw a radical deliverance. I've experienced stuff that I I can only relate to scripture. Mm -hmm. I also know that I saw a man walk in repentance. And I mean, he poured himself out in repentance. Whether And he would tell you this, whether the Lord heals me or not, I'm gonna walk with Jesus because my healing is not the most important thing. Mm-hmm. I do hope he and pray that he heals me. And I believe that he can. It sounds like Shadrach, Meshach, and mm-hmm. I believe he can, I believe he will. But even if he doesn't, I'm still gonna worship him. And that, those, that, was the, that was the thing coming out of his mouth. Well, the Lord did heal him and has continued to heal him. And he's 
a beautiful brother. But the thing, back, circling back around, the thing that I did not realize that I learned as I was with him, Rick had to learn how to be healed mm -hmm. because for so long his identity had been, well, this epileptic, this somebody suffering seizures, this, and he had it, and it gave him excuses for how to navigate life. Mm -hmm. And then when the Lord healed him, he had to learn how to be child of God, Rick Crowley. That is so interesting. And that it touches on the quote we were even talking about a little bit earlier um, about people in pain begin to wrap their identity around it. And if you offer to take away that pain, they think they'll be left holding nothing. But that's not what scripture says. Jesus exchanges ashes for beauty, bad for good. He never leaves us empty. And um, Pastor Britt said in a sermon recently, it's easier to be unhealthy than healthy. And I think that almost touches on what you're talking about too, that people almost don't know, yeah, what do they do when Jesus does come through on the miracle and they're left with themselves and they have to deal with all the parts of themselves? Yeah, I think some um, some people think this is cruel or tough or whatever, but there's a number, I mean, I've been in ministry for 30 years, man. And I can't tell you the number of times where if you really get down to somebody's soul level and go, do you want to be healed? Their honest answer is, I, I really don't. I don't. And a part of the reason is because if you if I'm healed, then you're going to take away my excuse for bad behavior. Hmm. And I've so wrapped my identity around, and I've so fallen in love with my bad behavior. Then wh whose fault will it be? Hmm. You know? Hey, can't blame the Correct. illness. Can't blame the... Spouse that left. Or the abuse that happened to you. And right. I'm not saying those things aren't a big deal, man. Right. These things are a really, really big deal. And I think there's a... Um, my buddy Bruce Frank and I were talking about this. There's a difference between like woundedness and brokenness. And God loves a broken and contrite heart. Because when you're broken, you say, God, will you put me back together? Mm -hmm. But wounded is somebody that like right. never... They just, they just sit in the woundedness. Mm -hmm. You know? They identify in the woundedness. They, you, you're like this eternal victim, mm. and and you never move to victory. Oh, that's good. And so it's a it's a very I mean it's a loaded question. I mean I remember the first time I was putting this thing together, and I was like, what, what a silly question. Do you want to be healed? Of course he wants to be healed. He's been here for 38 years, but the reality is there's a lot of people that don't. Man, mm. there's also though there's also this. And I don't know what else to call it other than this false doctrine of suffering, which says, God gave me this affliction for his purposes and his glory, and he wants me to stay in this because it's leading me closer to him. That's half true. It's absolutely. God does give us afflictions. It says, Jesus learned obedience through the things that he suffered. God the Father crushed his son. He absolutely afflicted Job. So yes, we see that in scripture, but he also says you have not because you ask not. Mm -hmm. And he commands us to pray for healing. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the thing that has always troubled me when I bumped into that, because people have said, well, you, you know, even Paul had his affliction of the flesh and he played three, prayed three times and God didn't take it from him. Well, but he still prayed. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't, he didn't want to be there. It wasn't like, well, I've got is just, life is just some big, huge suck fest because mm -hmm. God just gave me that. I'm supposed to stay here forever. I don't believe that's right either because that, that requires no faith. Mm -hmm. 
The Lord may have given you this. You may be suffering at the hand of the Lord. You may be suffering at the hand of a fallen world. You may be suffering at the hand of an enemy. I don't know. What I do know is he's commanded us to pray. So trying to walk out of that identity, it's a real thing and it's hard for people and I get it, but we're still commanded to pray. Mm. Pick up our mat, walk. That's good. So... That's this man. He brings all the excuses and he kind of lives in the identity of his pain and he can't get into the pool. And and then Jesus heals him. And Jesus tells him to take his mat with him, which is different from like when we talk about Lazarus, he tells Lazarus, take off your grave clothes. You don't need those anymore. Why does he tell this man, take your mat with you? <clears throat> I, I just think it's a... Um... The platform of pain makes an incredible stage to shout from the rooftops Mm. that Jesus has changed my life. Amen. Mm. Now, the similarity between the grave clothes and the mat is if you came by three weeks later and the guy's laying back in that mat, you'd be like, what are you doing, man? Mm. You don't need that mat anymore. Get off of it. Which I think is what we look like to heaven when we continuously go back to our, our old ways and our own sin. You know, like, whoa, whoa. You are a blood-bought child of the king. Why are you acting as if Jesus didn't die on the cross for you, come out of the grave, and deposit the Spirit of God in you? It would be that silly. And again, so now we're, we're not talking about just right and wrong. We're talking about life and death. We're talking about hold and healed versus invalid. Mm. It's like, why are you acting invalid? You don't have to do that anymore, man. You've got feet. Get up, jump, run. Right. The mat represents... The map can represent, this is what God did in my life. I'm no longer this person. It, it, it's, an, it's, a, it's a platform to tell my story. Look what God did. Mm-hmm. It's Revelations 12, 11. We, we overcome him, meaning Satan, by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And our testimony is just my story. This is, this is I forget where, maybe it was a couple of weeks ago. It may have been here at a book signing. We're sitting there signing books. And a lady comes up and starts talking about her brain tumor. I, I don't. This is foggy, but anyway, Rick is standing right there, and she's telling us this story. And I'm like, oh, you know what's really going to bolster? Two things are about to happen. This lady's hope's about to get bolstered because I'm going to introduce mm-hmm. her to Rick. And two, he's going to pray for her, and he has a beautiful ministry of healing. Wow. So, just when it be, when it can become a a thing that is used for the glory of God to say, this is what he has done in my life. It's awesome. Mm. It can also be, though, just a stinky thing sometimes that we carry around that gives us excuses of who we used to be. So you just kind of have to balance the mat. Or ask the Spirit of God to redeem the mat. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, last question. You close, and you just mentioned it, talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He can, he will, even if he doesn't. How are they an example of what really this entire chapter and maybe even entire book is about? You know, the, the first time I ever heard that, that phrase, that that's how we need to pray for miracles, um, it was an interview by Matt Chandler, and uh, who wrote the Ford, And that was his posture when he went down with a grand mal seizure and mm-hmm. had a brain tumor. Mm-hmm. To the Matt thing, too, one of the ways God redeems it is like when Ben Williams gets diagnosed, I could connect him with Chandler because 
Because mm-hmm. basically what they're saying is, hey, man, let me see that. Oh, we got the same color mat. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some of that. There's some like, yeah, that's good. to the glory of God, I can identify with you because for I've laid on that same mat, I know what it's mm-hmm. like. Um, <clears throat> I just think that's the prayer of faith. That's, that's when you're praying to the God of miracles. You're not praying for the miracle. Mm-hmm. Those are not necessarily the same thing. Yeah. And, and again, just... To reiterate, it's I know he can. How do I know he can? Because the tomb is empty. We'll start there. Because this book is just, I mean, full of recorded events. I witnessed over and over and reported on that he has healed. He has he has performed the miracles and the signs. So I know that he can. And I am believing that he's going to for me. Why would I believe that? Because he's a good dad. He loves his kids, man. He loves his kids. And there's not a good dad out there that if his kid asks for bread, will give him a stone. And even if he doesn't, I'm still going to worship him because somehow I was asking for bread and I didn't get the kind of bread I was asking, but it wasn't a stone. I was asking for fish. I did not get a scorpion. And there will be a day when he peels back the curtain and now we see dimly and then we, we will know fully and see completely. And somehow we'll be like, you did it again. Mm. You did it again. <clears throat> when Paul asks for the, his thorn in the flesh to be removed, God gives him a glimpse into the why. And he even says it. He said, like, this was actually a gift. Mm. What I thought was punishment, unanswered prayer was actually a gift because I had a, I had a pride problem, and you knew that would take me out. And it'd be way easier for me in this life to deal with the thorn in the flesh mm. than it would the pride of life. Mm. Because if I'm a if I'm struggling with pride, you would be opposed to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna need you, if I'm gonna be the greatest church planner of all time, I'm gonna need you on my side. So, I mean, this is crazy, right? Thank you <clears throat> for giving me, it even says a, the demonic for giving me that demonic attack as a gift Mm -hmm. so that I could be who you have called me to be for your glory. Because no matter where the pain comes from, it all has come through the fingers of God. Yeah. I mean, he's in charge of it all. Amen. That's good. On that note, anything you'd add before we close? No, ma'am. Will you pray for us? Sure. Lord Jesus, we thank you for today. Uh, We thank you for this, uh, the man who ran up to Jesus and said, come quick, Lord, my, my son is sick. And you healed him just with a, with a spoken word. And this scripture says an amazing thing. When that man got home and found out that his son was healed, it says that he and his whole household believed. Mm. Well, I pray that as we go through this time, through this book, through this study, through these podcasts, that yes, Lord, we, we, are, we are enamored by the miracles. We would love to see more of them. Absolutely come, Lord Jesus. Please don't let us be a hurdle to anything that your spirit wants to do in this space and in this time and in this day. But Lord, more than that, John calls them signs because they point to you. We want to we want to come to know you at a, at a, in a deeper place and believe in you in a greater way than we did yesterday. We don't, we don't want to just believe that you are who you say you are. We want to believe in you as you who you are, as you are who you say you are. That we, that we would put our whole trust in you, Lord. Father, we love you. We welcome you. We, we praise you and we worship you in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the podcast. <laughs> the end. You nailed it. <laughs>